0: we have had i don't know if you made it last week or not if you didn't man you missed something Amen. we were so blessed the, the the spirit of the lord was present in the house and it was it was a blessing and what's great is the spirit of the lord was filling the place last week and spilling on over into this week and the, i just i don't i just feel blessed to be in the presence of the people of God and the presence of God this morning. As we begin today, I just want to, uh, to reiterate what Tim said earlier. Last Monday, the church voted Amen. to get on with the business of building a new worship center. I don't know. That, I don't, for some of you, that's like, yeah, and? For me, that's like 10 years and. That's, that's, since we built this building, that building has been on the horizon. Since, since 15 years ago, December of 2002, when we first moved into this building, that building has been on my mind. I have been describing the foyer of that building to people for 15 years. I know that there's a lot of other things that other people are excited about, but I'm excited about what God is going to do in bringing this church together in that that new space and giving us a little elbow room. Uh, We had 550 people here at Christmas time. We had people in every overflow space we could think of. We made up a couple of overflow spaces that we don't normally think about for Christmas. We had over 450 people in a room that seats 350 last week. So just understand, it's, it's not uh, that we're just looking for, you know, a, a bill to pay. We are looking for an opportunity to serve the Lord in the next step, and the next phase, and what he might have for us in the future. And more importantly than that, we're looking for a way to reach the community of Rockland. Amen. You know, while we've been here, the community has grown. I don't know if you noticed when I first came here, there were 10,000 people in Rockland. There's 60,000 people in Rockland now. Thanks, Pete. Were you afraid I was going to trip? You're probably a good idea. 60,000 from 10,000. Now, granted, when I first came here, the, the, we, we, were not a large, we were not a large church. We weren't even a medium-sized church. We had 80 folks. And within a, a couple of weeks, I had whittled those 80 people down to 40 <laughs> under the grace of God and in his leadership, I hope. And yet here we are today. And so I just want to say thank you for all the work you've done, the giving, the impressive way in which you've supported this. And as Tim said, you know, what we do between now and, say, December or so, uh, somewhere in there we expect to start having to use borrowed money. What do we do between now and then staves off the bank loan, staves off the loan as long as possible. And so um, we appreciate what you've been doing in the first quarter of the year. Your continued support in that way will really help get us in the, in the practice of, of pushing that loan away as far as we can. We'd like to push it away until it doesn't exist anymore. If, you, if you're up for that, I'm up for that too. But I, I am also going to talk to the builder and see if we can get in by next Easter. Wouldn't that be fun? That's the last Sabbath of March next year. So we know what to pray for, right? The other thing I really want to do is to start thinking about what it means to serve the community of Rockland once we're done with this next bit of business we have to take care of. You know, when I buy a new tool, I usually want to immediately begin to use it. Right. Once in a while, I get to my one of my sons bought me a tool that I didn't have an immediate use for. It, it, it's a it's something called a, a, a plunge saw. I don't know if you've ever seen one. It's got a blade on it that that's in that's withdrawn. And when you you start the saw, and when you're ready to cut, you actually push down and the, and the blade comes out below. OK, and that that little bit of a blade, I hadn't had any reason to use it. So I made up a reason to use it while we were working on some things in the church here the other day, just so I could bring it to church and play with it. When we get the new building, let's start figuring out a way to play with it. Amen. Right? Let's begin to imagine and dream what we might do there and then. When we moved into this building, it was like letting a bunch of horses go at the beginning of a race. Somebody fired a gun and a whole bunch of people started running. Because we had been moving around. We had been renting spaces. We would not been able to spread our wings at all. And so many m- new ministries started when we moved into this building. It was, it was dizzying. I'd like to see that happen again. So if you've had something on your heart, something on your mind, if you've been thinking about or praying about something, now's the time to say, okay, maybe next spring. Maybe next spring we do this. We get this started. Start dreaming, start praying, start imagining, start thinking, what would God want me to do? And because of the vote on Monday, we shifted away from disciples and we shifted away from Matthew and we're going to talk about Caleb. Do you remember Caleb from the Old Testament? Remember Joshua and Caleb? Sometimes we only remember Caleb if we remember Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb were part of the the 12 spies sent in to spy out the land before the people went into the promised land. Joshua and Caleb. We're going to talk about Caleb today. We're going to talk about Caleb for a couple of reasons. One, he had an absolute, full-on, amazing commitment to God. The Bible speaks of it. God speaks of it. Moses speaks of it. And... He got stuck with a 40-year delay between being on the edge, being able to taste that promise and its fulfillment. Okay? Let's pray. Lord, I know that we have just been worshiping and we have just been praying and we have, we have, we have as a group drawn together here this morning to serve you. And as the children are are in, uh, in children's church this morning... I just want to ask for an outpouring of your spirit that fills this place in every corner with the blessing, protecting, uh, empowering, enthralling, exciting, vision-casting spirit that is yours and yours alone. Amen. So Numbers chapter 14, verse 24, this is where the passage is talking about the 12 spies And you find this little statement by my servant Caleb, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit. This is God speaking of Caleb because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me. How fully I will bring into the bring into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit it. So I will bring I will bring Caleb into the land where he went And his descendants shall inherit it. Hold on to that picture. I will bring Caleb into the land where he went. And his descendants shall inherit it. Because he has a spirit that is filled up. Did you know that there's no such thing as an empty vessel? Unless you're talking about something that's been placed very carefully into a situation where all the last bits of everything can be drawn out of an absolute vacuum, there's no such thing as an empty vessel. In fact, a vacuum is something that has to be created. It's not something that exists normally in our world. So every one of us, everything, everybody has something that inhabits sort of who we are. We picked it up traveling, we picked it up in our life, we picked it up from our parents, we picked it up maybe from our children. We all have a little bit of something living in the neighborhood of what we are, the, the community of our, of our, of our existence, the, that, that body that we dwell in, that spirit that lives inside of us, that heart, that mind, everything that makes up you and I. There's something inside of all of us. One of the prayers that has become habitual for me is Lord, would you fill me up to the point where there's room for nothing else? I'd recommend this prayer, because I got so much junk in there all the time. I am putting junk in there, I don't even know I'm putting in there at sometimes. It's what I'm listening to on the radio. It's what I'm watching. It's what I see in the streets. It's what I read in a billboard or in a magazine or in a newspaper. Bits and pieces start throwing their junk in. It's my resistant attitudes. It's my little tiny rebellions. It's It's my attempt to be myself, do my thing, be my own man. And all those things start to throw stuff in, start to put pieces in. You know, when I hear somebody sing Frank Sinatra's song, I did it my way. I, I kind of puff up a little. Do you? You kind of you give that, yeah, yeah. I don't know if women do this. Do women do this? We, we do this internally. We kind of flex internally. You, uh, lady, you, I don't know. You Maybe you don't flex ever, but we do. We're like, yeah, yeah. And, we're, and, you know, something can happen on TV, and we do this sort of, yeah. There's this manly sort of grunting that goes on inside of us, even when we don't let it out. And it's just kind of of bits and pieces of that fill up who we are. And we're collecting them all the time. And and in all of those bits and pieces, we start pushing out and making no room for the Spirit of God to take hold and take its role and to lead the way God would like us to. This is an amazing statement about this man, that he followed me fully. If you were to to kind of translate the Hebrew a little differently, the translation of the Hebrew that I like better is that he was filled with to capacity, or filled all the way up to overflowing with me. That Caleb, my servant, as God calls him, was so full of me that it was kind of spilling out. It was just just overflowing with me. So as we begin this story, I just want to describe him. First of all, Caleb's, Caleb's name means dog, which... Might not have been the best thing to say about your child. I mean, there's there's very few ways you can say that about your child and not be kind of a bad statement. My son's a dog. My son's a dog. But see, in, in modern times, we've sort of changed this word a little bit, right? We now have we have dog as kind of a kind of a, I don't know. It's kind of a friendly term of of, of encouragement yeah dog right? Well, that means I'm talking to my buddy, and I've just encouraged him. I don't know again, not, I've never been a girl does, Do you guys do this? does this term does this term appeal to ladies? We have mixed reviews, but mostly nos. But it, it kind of appeals to us. It's another one of those internal grunt things, dog, yeah, go dog. right? So if we take it like that, it could be a compliment. But boy, in Hebrew in the Old Testament, it was not a good word. To, to name your kid "dog" was a bad start for the kid. But he doesn't change it. He hangs with it. He lets it be, and he becomes. We ha- we name people that today because of this guy. Not because of what it means in Hebrew. Because this guy changed the way we feel about the name. He changed the way we feel about his name. Amazing. Amazing. He, is, he has unrelenting faith. Unrelenting faith. It doesn't give up. It, doesn't, it does not falter. It's unrelenting faith. If I give... My dog, if Bentley gets a bone, Bentley is unrelenting with that bone. He chews and he grinds and he tries to bring it in the house and he, he continues until he has gotten every bit of anything you could ever imagine of, of any kind of nutrition out of it and then he still wants to chew on it. He's that kind of unrelenting faith. He's unrepentant in his drive forward unrepentant means, you know, repentant means to turn around, right? To repent means to go the other direction. He's unrepentant in his drive. He's not changing his direction. He's moving, he's going, he's not changing the direction. No matter what the circumstances around him look and feel like, he's pushing forward and he's ultimately a success. If you have those three things, that last one comes with the first two. Unrelenting faith, unrepentant drive, leads to ultimate success. We'll talk about it more, but I just want you to, I want to plant that seed. So, beginning in Joshua 14, if you have a Bible with you, if you have it in, on your device, I'm going to actually read a little bit of this to you, because I would like, like to get the story in your head. Um, <coughs> excuse me. And I'm going to read in Joshua 14. The, the depiction of Caleb's experience, what Caleb is is doing. So it's understand what this is. This is the reading of the will day, right? They only do this in movies, but you know how they gather the whole family around and everybody's waiting to hear what their piece of the pie is going to be? That's what this is. They've now been five years pushing kings out. If you go back a couple of chapters, you see the whole list of kings they've conquered and the cities they've conquered. And they've, they've risen to power in Canaan. And they've now decided to divide up the land. They're now going to pass out who owns what. So you're going to get this, you're going to get that, and you're going to get the other thing. And so they're now reading sort of who's in charge, who gets what. And they're right in the midst of it. If you, if you read it, they've talked about the land of Gad. They've talked about the land that's belonging to various people. And in the midst of Joshua's explanation, the, 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 sort of the, the whole group, the whole congregation quiets. Because an 85-year-old man now understand, everybody under, everyone over 20 had died in the last 40 years except for Joshua and Caleb. Every human who was under 20 at the time when they came to the edge of the land has died in the last 40 years. So the oldest person other than Joshua and Caleb is at the most 60 years old. And up walks this old man. Actually, 65 years old because he had five years in conquering. So up walks this old man, one of the two oldest men in the group. And he's not just old, he's famous. He's the man, he's the dog. This is Caleb. And he comes out of the group and he makes his way to the front. There's no halt in his step, there's no cane in his hand. There's no bend in his posture. He walks out straight and tall and fully himself as much as he has been in his entire life. He looks around and makes eye contact with the leaders of the church and everybody goes quiet. The children of Judah, verse 6, came to Joshua, Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning me at Kadesh Barnea. It's what we read at the beginning. I was forty years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, My brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed the Lord. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever. Because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, The Lord has kept me alive. These 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, here I am this day, 85 years old. And yet I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going in and coming out. Now, therefore, give me this mountain on which the Lord spoke of in that day. Man, there should have been a drum roll with this guy's comments. I mean, so now. Give me this mountain. Does that mean anything to you? To everybody there, there was, like a, there was like a small gasp. It's like, oh. he wants the mountain. He wants this mountain. He's 85. What does he want the mountain for? I don't know. This might be a bad idea. We should give the mountain to somebody younger you know, stronger. Whisper went across the group. But anyone who caught the eye of Caleb didn't whisper. Because he is as stone cold committed as he has ever been in his life. The same authority that came in his voice when he came home from spying out the land now echoes through this place. Give me the mountain. Don't you know what you're asking for, man? There's a reason we haven't taken the mountain yet. The mountain is where the giants live. The mountains is where the toughest cities in the region are. You really don't want to attack the mountain. Give me this mountain. Come on. Don't be serious. You can't be serious. Unrelenting faith. Unrepentant drive. Give me the mountain I saw 45 years ago. Give me the promise God made 45 years ago. Give me the mountain. You have a mountain? Do you have a mountain? Is there something out there, something that maybe echoed through your life when you were 25 and you thought that was the direction? but you've kind of gotten a little weary of wondering about it. You've waited 40 years, you've waited 30 years, you've waited 10 years, and you're kind of going, I don't know, God, is this really your plan? Is this really, I don't know, this, this should have happened by now. Give me the mountain. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me to, from Candish Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought back the word to him as it was in my heart. You see, the decision that Joshua and Caleb made about the taking of the land of Canaan wasn't a decision in their head. Because the other ten tribes were right. There were giants in the land. There were well-fortified cities. This was a well-established land. Hittites, Amalekites, Canaanites, the sons of of the giant Aram live in this land. It's too scary. Can't do it. It wasn't Caleb's mind that was speaking. It was Caleb's faith that was speaking when he came and he said, we can take this land. We can do this. Nevertheless, my brethren went up with me and made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. Fully committed, completely sure, so completely that there was room for nothing else inside. I was filled up. I was completely filled with confidence in God. I was completely filled with the assurance of his promises. I was completely sure that God knew what he was doing when he brought us to this place and told us to go. I was completely certain that he, if he could defeat the Egyptians, he could defeat the Canaanites. Come on now. He just whipped the Americans, and now he wants us to take France. No problem. It's just the French. Everybody beats the French. told you about this whole thing before. Look, I believe God. I'm not really scared of the giants. I have God. So Moses swore on that day, surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. When I set this cup in there, I'd put about a quarter inch of oil in it. And how oil mixes with everything? Takes a lot to be wholly filled. You got to keep going back to the well. You've got to keep going back to that fellowship with God. You've got to keep going back to the Word. You've got to go back to worship. You've got to go back to time with Him. You've got to invest in that relationship until you've been so full, so filled up, that there's no room for anything else. I don't do this anymore because it's too uncomfortable. But When I was a younger man, I used to love to go to the all-you-can-eat place. Because I could eat. And I could just go back trip after trip after trip to the line. And I, 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 I haven't always uh, been a, a Christian or a Seventh-day Adventist. And I would walk up to the line and I would bypass all that stuff they were trying to sell me on the cheap. You know, don't eat the veggies. That's just cheap stuff. They're trying to fill you up with salad before you actually start to eat. When I was young, my mom would make me stop by the greens and pick something out. Seemed like such a waste. And you eat, and you're kind of full. And you go back, and they give you a fresh, clean plate as if you'd never eaten. And you fill up plate number two, and you go back to your seat, and you sit down and you eat, and now you're pretty sure you're full. But because it's free, you go back, and you get the third plate. And now you're a little more selective about what you're eating, but you're still eating and you you pick out the things that were best in the first two trips and you put those things on your plate and you go back and you sit down. And now you're a little bit slower, but at 17, you can eat. Your stomach expands to take up the internal organ space in your body. All the other organs are just laying on the side going, come on, man, you're killing me down here. And you take the third plate. And then you realize they have dessert. (laughs) And so you go back the fourth time. And when you get up from the all-you-can-eat fourth plate, you have no question that there is no more capacity. And if you're not careful, they'll be overflowing. This is not a time for jogging or windy roads. This is a time for going home, sitting on the couch, leaning back, and maybe unbuttoning the first snap in your pants. Because you're full. The biblical picture of this man's spiritual life has sent him back to the food counter of God, Over and over and over again. And he's filled to the capacity of his intake. He is so full there's no room for anything else. In fact, the blessings of God are now spilling out of him onto the people around him. And he's beginning to become a source of the presence of God to the people he touches. Wouldn't that be cool? And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive. As he said these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses. Listen to him. He's been wandering around the desert as a roaming nomadic shepherd for 40 years. He's been fighting battles on behalf of Israel for the last five years. But in the back of his mind has been this mountain God promised to him and his children the whole time. I remember the word that Moses spoke to me that day in Kadesh Barnea. While Israel wandered in the wilderness, I remembered, and now here I am this day at 85 years old, and I'm going to collect on the promise of God. Anybody got that kind of temerity? Anybody here ever felt like you were going to collect on the promise of God? Anybody holding back from that whole idea right now just because you're not sure you're full enough to deal with it if it comes? Is there a promise that's been laying in the incubator for the last decade that you've just kind of been walking around and trying not to wake up because soon it might start pecking at the edge of the egg and who knows what's going to hatch. Yet I am strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, now is my strength for war, both for going in, going out and coming in. By the way, If you go out into war, you would like to come back. That's what he's talking about. I went out and I come back. Now, therefore, give me this mountain, which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the Anakim were there. The Anakim, those are the giants. And that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me. You know? I'm really full. But like those three Hebrews in the furnace, it's still up to God what happens. But I'm claiming the promise. Give me the mountain. Let me take on the giants. I think the Lord will go with me. And if He does... Those giants do not have a chance. They don't have a chance. Give me the mountain which the Lord spoke on that day. That's the mountain. It's this little dot down there. It's in Hebron. And today, if you were to go there, it's all kind of arid and dry. Back then, it was forested and covered. They stripped the forests off this land, trying to melt iron and copper and brass and trying to, to do the Iron Age without coal or natural gas or even electricity. They stripped the forests and the land is barren. But Hebron used to be rolling hills with trees and beautiful land luscious, full of farms, great cities on its top. And it was the land that the giants took from everybody who thought they were bad enough to keep it. This is the land the big fellas wanted. And this was the land the big fellas took. Now here comes an 85-year-old man and says, I'll take on the giants. Let me have the giants. Because I'm pretty sure that God's on my side. The twelve spies had been in before. They came out and they said, we can't have this land. Now, you've got to understand, the twelve spies, the words that they echoed about this promised land are still echoing. They're still there as the people start moving through the land. That's why they've not taken this land already. The people of Israel could have attacked this land. They could have marched on Hebron at any time, but they haven't. Five years they've been moving through Canaan, taking out king after king after king, and they've avoided this neighborhood. It was like, do not enter. Guard dog on duty. They don't want to go over there. You know, the Anakim live up there. You know, this is, these are the tribes of the sons of Aphrah. You don't want to go there. These are some big dudes. We don't want to quarrel with them. Let's just, let's just quietly go about killing off everybody else. Maybe they won't notice. The 12 spies had said, this is great land. It's got great stuff. I mean, look, this is these huge grapes and the fruit is amazing. But, man, there are giants in the land. In fact, they made the story bigger than it actually was. They said everybody in the land's a giant. Everything that wasn't true, but, man, it, it shook them when they crossed the border. When they crossed the Jordan and went up against these people, the echoing sound in the back of their mind was everybody in the land's a giant. We felt like grasshoppers. And God took Jericho. And city after city and king after king, God led and God showed himself to be powerful and a fulfiller of promises. And there's one old man saying, when are we going to go to Hebron? Hey, when are we going to go to Hebron? Hey, guys, if we go south, we'll be at Hebron. It's not that far from here. Hey, guys, let's go take Hebron. Shut up, man. Giants in Hebron. They might hear you. Come on. What are you guys waiting for? Let's go to Hebron. And they've gone five years through the land, and they've begun to divide up the spoils of the land now, and still Hebron stands. And so out of the background comes the same faithfulness that was spoken when Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, "Let us go at once and take possession, for we are well over able to overcome it." When he had gone up with him, when the others came, but when the when man I can't read or speak, but the men who had gone up with him said, "We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we, had. and they gave the children of Israel a bad." report. <laughs> One preacher said, you know what's wrong with the church? The againers. Jesus just texting. So what's an againer? As is the people who are again, everything. Every once in a while, we just have to say, God, if God, are your, if if you don't show up, we're not doing it. And if you show up, nothing will stop us. Giants. The minority report from Caleb of Joshua that land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Modern translation, they're toast. They are our bread. Their protection has departed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Are there any giants in your life? Anything that comes up that scares you? Any part of the dream you're withholding your heart from because you're just afraid to tackle it? Caleb says, Don't worry about it. It's your bread. If God is on your side, you can afford unrelenting faith and unrepentant drive. Because with God, there is ultimate success. If this is a black church, you'd be going crazy right now. So God says to the Israelites, if you don't trust me, after what you saw in Egypt, after what you've seen so far as we passed through the desert, did the cloud come every day? Did the pillar of fire come every night? Did manna fall from the sky every time you needed it? Have I been with you all this time and now you're afraid of a couple of giants? Come on. Take a lap. I learned take a lap when I was in junior high. As you are aware, I have a tendency to speak sometimes when I am unspoken to. I learned about PE coaches when I was in junior high. It's the first time you got in the locker room and the coach said, okay, take off your clothes and get ready for PE. And you're like, what? And it was also the first time somebody said to me, Groff, shut up. Groff, shut up. Groff, take a lap. (laughs) And the first time they say it, you don't know what you're supposed to do. To which the coach explicitly explains the directions he's given. And if you are one of the first, you become the example for all of the rest. I ran my share of laps. God says to Israel, if you, after all that's happened, can't go into the promised land, the land I've given you, the land I promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the land I brought you to the border of, go take a lap. You go wander for a while. You go out in the desert and take some laps out there and until all of those who have stood here today and said it cannot be done are gone. And only those 20 and under still alive then will take it. And so they wandered in the desert. So Caleb, version 1, 40 years a slave with un relenting faith. An unrepentant drive. How did Caleb get to be a leader in Israel? There's a whole lot of questions and backstories with this guy. But his faith brought him to the forefront. His belief that God would rescue Israel when he was a slave and his belief that God would lead Israel when he was passing through the desert kept him in the forefront of the people of God, and when they needed somebody from the tribe of Judah to go and represent the people as one of the twelve spies, this is the guy they picked. This is the tribe of David. This is the tribe of the kings of Israel. This is the tribe of the priests. This is the guy they picked. Forty years... After being sent for a lap with everybody else. Wandering in the desert. And now's collection day. Give me that mountain. If you guys are too scared to go, fine, let me go. I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm okay. I'm pretty sure God will be with me. Let me go. Unrelenting faith. Unrepentant drive. Ultimate success. He attacks the land. They get to a city named Debir. Debir is an interesting city. The archaeological digs on Debir say that they had an outer wall which wasn't much of a wall. The inner wall was highly fortified. And between the two walls was a maze. The idea was to get you stuck in the maze once you broke through the outer wall. And that would be the killing fields for the city. And so when they got to Debir, he asks, Among his family, who among you will be the one who takes Debir? And his nephew volunteer? You see, this kind of faith can spill out on people. And so he, his nephew, goes through the outer wall, makes his way through the labyrinth, takes down the inner wall, and takes Debir. You know why? Because it was a great plan that they had for the protection of their city, but they no longer were under the protection of God. In fact, God was on the side of those coming. Let me have the mountain. Let me take the mountain. So here we are. What is your Hebron? I know you've been thinking about it. It's been been rolling around in your head a little bit. What's your Hebron? You don't need to say it. I just need you to think about it. What is your Hebron? What is it? What is it? What has God placed on your heart that you need unrelenting faith to chase? Faith that you have to remind yourself that there is a God and He can be trusted. The evidence of the past is clear. People in the past, experiences of my own, things I have read, things I have seen, those things prove that I can have faith In God. And when the when the the, the doubts that hang out in the neighborhood of your heart start to peek out, you say, Go away. I have seen enough from God that I am unrelenting in my faith. I've experienced enough from God that I'm unrelenting in my faith. If your faith is young, it's tough to be unrelenting. If your faith is young, you haven't had enough jumps to make. You haven't enough, had enough experiences with God. You might want to lean on somebody else's face. When the nephew took Debir, I think it was under the inspiration of the unrelenting faith of his 85-year-old uncle that he took, took the city. If your faith is a little bit of waver... Hook yourself up with somebody who's not wavering. Unrelenting faith. What is it that God has placed in your heart that you need to hang on for? That you need a little unrelenting faith for? I'm telling you what. I had more faith in the second phase of this building after the first phase went up, December of 2015, than I had about five or six years ago. Because Five or six years ago, we had come to the edge of this thing and we said, No, we don't think so. And as a group, we walked back. As a group, we backed away. And at that moment, I had less faith in the reality of that, of that second phase of this building than I have today. Than I had ten years before that. Because as a group, we had said, no, no, we don't know that we can do that. And as a group, we walk away. We don't run ahead one at a time and, and let the rest of the group walk. We walk together. This this group stays together. So if we make a decision, we stay with that decision together. The decision to back away was all of our decision. And the decision to move forward is all of our decision. Some of the folks who are here today would have said, no, if I had been there Monday night, I wouldn't have voted for that. We made a decision for you. Let's go. If you wanted to vote against it, should have shown up Monday night. We made a decision Monday night, time to move forward. Five years ago, on a a night we voted and we backed away. And I would have gone forward. I would have happily moved forward at that moment. But we backed away. might have been seven years ago. I don't even know now. It's a blur in my memory. This is one of the great things about being sang, when you can let go of stuff and move on. We backed up. And we backed up together. Today, we have decided to cross the borders and engage the enemy. It's time to move on together. So when we reach into our wallet, we reach into our wallet together. This summer, we're going to have a couple of dollar days. In fact, I think we might have a dollar month. Because, you know, people rotate in and out. They're not here every week. The reason we need a dollar month is pretty simple. When we build the second phase of this building, when the last... Brick is placed when the last paint is spread. And we open the doors and we walk in a a year from now on Easter. When we walk into that building, everybody in this group should be able to walk in saying, I helped. If it's just a buck you dropped in on dollar day, it's a buck you dropped in on dollar day. I'll warn you so you can bring a buck. And I'm saying, I understand that for some... Any amount being dropped in for this is a a stretch for your budget. For some, maybe you drop in 10 grand on dollar day. I'm okay with that. But the bottom line is we need to move across this border together. We need to go forward together. Here we stand. We have made a decision on faith and stepped out. We go together. Israel crossed the Jordan together. Caleb would have crossed Forty years before, but his unrelenting faith saw the future even when it was on a distant horizon. What is God placing on your heart that you need to little you need a little unrelenting faith to believe in? What's your Hebron? What are your giants? What are the pieces that make you feel like if you step into this, you're going to get your, key, your teeth kicked in? What are the pieces of this that are scaring you? What are the pieces of this vision that God has placed on your heart? I don't know what it is. It could be about your family. could be about your life. could be about a decision you need to make for ministry. It could be some call that God has placed on you to, to go to Africa or Zimbabwe, or, or, or to, to, those are the same place, or to Brazil or someplace else. In case you didn't know. those I don't know what it is that God has placed on your heart. What is it that are the giants that are making you afraid to do it? What giants have kept you from doing it? You, you know you need, to, you need to change the way you do your business practices. You've been pushing things just a little bit in your own mind, and you know you have, and yet you, you feel like you can't stop doing it because something's going to change, and when it changes, it's going to be bad. You've been resisting really accepting all that the Bible says about what it talks about, Period. You've been kind of holding out on a couple of verses. You said, I go along with the whole Bible except for like these five. And it's going to take some some faith to step through on those five. It's going to take a little unrelenting faith and acceptance to the fact that God has only His best in mind for you. What are your giants? What is your Hebron? And are you filled till there's no more room? I think a lot of us can see the first two pretty clearly. But we're wondering about this last one. we're holding out a little bit and there's some corner we're not giving over to God. Some favorite sin. Some nagging doubt. Some generational curse that you're carrying. That you need to let God fill into that spot and push it out. Let it bubble to the surface and roll over the top of the glass. You need to let God deal with it. Your fear of other people. Your fear of a call on your life. What's holding back that cup being filled? What is it that you need to let God take so that there's no room for anything else in there? I love the example of this 85-year-old man. I love the cockiness. I love the spiritual cockiness to stand in front of his entire family, now maybe a million and a half, two million more people, to stand before leaders and say, I'm 85 years old. Because of the blessings of God, I can do this physically. And because of the blessings of God, I'm going to do this. Unrelenting faith. Unrepentant drive. And the Bible says, he and his family took it. It became the place of their family's inheritance. And before we leave, The topic. Do you know the importance of Hebron? This is the place where Abraham and Isaac and Jacob bought a little cave in a field in a place called Machpelah. And the bones of the founders of the faith that had worked its way all the way to Caleb were buried in Hebron. And Israel was letting a couple of giants keep them away from that place. And they become, his family becomes, the protectors of the heritage of faith. Father, it's kind of scary to think about this stuff, to be honest. We're not really sure what the next steps are. We see guys like Caleb, and we don't want to measure ourselves by such people because we don't feel like we're any kind of spiritual giants ourselves. But we choose to trust you today. We choose to know and understand that what you've done in the past, you will do in our lives. We choose to ask today, as a group and as a group of individuals, for you to fill us up. We pray that you would push out all the things that we've let get in the way. The use of our time, the abuse of our health, the doubts that we cradle like our favorite children. We're asking that you would, that you would fill us so full of your Holy Spirit that there's no room for anything else in there. That as a congregation of individuals, we might begin to just well up and spill over. Spill over in our family, in our church, in our neighborhood, in our country. Because we're on the same page with our God. Lord, there are as many Hebrons in this in this building as there are individuals we pray that they might be vanquished for your glory and in your name we place ourselves in your hands for the outcome of our dreams we choose to have unrelenting faith help our unbelief We choose to have unrepentant drive toward the things you have placed in front of us no matter how long it takes. In the name of Jesus, the the one who died and was raised again.